This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. (laughs) This is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they can do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal. It's so awful, isn't it? For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed. But I do. And people are starting to notice. You think this is funny? Is this a joke to you? Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Bat Fans. Yes, we're still here. And yes, we're still here after a brief hiatus of missing our last episode. But. That was my fault. I'll take full blame and responsibility for not having an episode out as normally like we do. But here again, my name is Tim. I'm your, I am your host, and I will be joined as always by Dane. Dane, what's up? I wish you could meet, meet under better circumstances, Tim. I think I know where you're going with this, Dane, and I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Let me offer my apologies uh, right now. So two years in a row, <laughs> the pitching of the Oakland Athletics have completely failed the team. <laughs> um, ah, and what yeah. sucks is they tried it both ways. I mean, last year it was with yeah. the opener, the bullpen game, and this year they went with a starter, their best starter, right? Manaya. Um, I don't know what to think about him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, he was hurt for most of the season. And I don't know, give it to Mike Fires. You know, he's been consistent throughout the entire year. 
Well, maybe they didn't want to give it to him because of his weird beard shaving style. Yeah. <laughs> he shaves like half his beard off. Yeah, one side full and one side not. It was like that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer like gets hit, kicked in the head and he's not thinking right and he shaves one side and leaves the other side full <laughs> <pulled> of <laughs> the hair. Yeah, I don't know what to think. I mean, I know a lot of people on Twitter, Athletics Twitter, are blaming ownership. They're blaming management. But I... What could they have done differently, though? Besides maybe starting fires, like you said. Yeah, well, well, people are saying that the Oakland A's need more money. Well, that's a given, but... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and, like, they're not getting it. And... uh, I, I, I don't know what, what different that they could they could have done. Um but I th- I think these teams, these Oakland Athletic Moneyball teams are made for the regular season. Right? Mm-hmm. Where where you can play twenty games and you don't have to win every single one of them, right? Mm-hmm. But yet still maintain good playing good consistent baseball. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need the big home runs. Um, you just need a little bit of run support, a little bit of pitching, a little bit of fielding, and you're good. You, you'll win a game. But when it comes to the postseason, especially the wild card, where you only have one game, or you only have five games, or you only have seven games, right? I don't think it works. I just don't think it works. I don't think the numbers add up. And... Uh, I don't know. It's it's two years in a row of, uh, in a row of this, and it's getting really uh, just. I can imagine it's, frustrating. It's <laughs> frustrating, right? And not to I mention, mean, you, I mean, obviously, what they got. I think they didn't know Bob Melvin say in the post game press conference about how they just got to win the division, <laughs> yeah. but that's easier said than done with the Astros in your division being the best team in baseball, arguably. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no way the A's are going to win the division. Not this this past year, not next year. Um, and I just don't know what they could possibly do without money. Uh, yeah, I just don't know what they can do besides that. I mean, I, I wish our problem was like yours, Tim, where <laughs> it's why didn't Aaron Judge hit four home runs instead of three home runs? You know? <laughs> And what you got two good players at the same position, and there's not enough room to play them both. <laughs> so, what yeah. else to be regulated to the bench a pit, as a pinch hitter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I don't know. I think the A's need to win the division somehow. Somehow, some way. Some way, and at least get five games. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so I know. Not... At least get into a series. Instead, instead of just getting the one playoff game. But, you know, I, I, you know, as bad as I feel for myself, I feel bad for these other A's fans. And and I don't know which broadcast you watched, Tim. Um, it was uh, it the MLB Network one. Was it the MLB Network airing? It was a TB. I think it was TBS that was airing. No, wait, it was ESPN. ESPN. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, so it wasn't on MLB Network. No. Okay, well, I, I don't know if you noticed, but they, they turned on the audience noise. Okay. <laughs> Because uh, because of the drums, 
Oh, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I didn't notice that. You're right. <laughs> yeah, they, they they turned on the audience noise, and uh, I don't know. I I just feel bad for. Uh, as much as I feel bad for myself, I feel bad for like these A's fans that 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 sit in right field with their drums and their <laughs> chants, and you know, and and they got to watch a game where their team scores one point. I mean, one run. You know, so. I don't know. It's frustrating. It's heartbreaking. Same thing with last year. It's just hard to get over. Right, yeah. <laughs> Even though you've seen it many times, it doesn't make it any easier when they get knocked yeah. out in that one game playoff. I am yeah. sorry, Dave. It's upsetting. Uh, well, it's unfortunate. There's always next year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering what this team's going to look like next year. It's going to look the same. Are they going to get better pitching? Um, yeah, so I will say one positive. I think they got all the football field st- stuff off there for the playoff game with like the chalk lining yeah. of the field that's used for the Raider <laughs> games. So it looked like the baseball field for the playoff game. <laughs> so oh, that was well, nice. <laughs> well, it's the last time you're going to see it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> uh, speaking of football, I did watch a football game, Tim. Oh, well, I. Something you could say that I haven't done all year. And... Yeah, it's been a long time, right? Exactly. I, I haven't seen a football game in a long time. I usually just watch the last quarter of the Super Bowl. That's about it. That's yeah. my football watching. Uh, but I, I watched a football game with the Arizona Cardinals um, and some other team. I can't remember who it was. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't remember, but... Um, if you don't know, Tim, uh, Kyler Murray plays for the Arizona Cardinals. I don't That's know if you right. know that. I don't That's, know if you would he would uh, he would it, would he have been a difference maker for Oakland in the one game playoff if he decided to stick with baseball? <laughs> I, I don't know, uh, but he didn't look very. I mean, I th- yeah, this is a this is this is his rookie year, right? Yeah, uh, and. It's it's I, I I guess it's the the difference between football and baseball where they just put in the rookie quarterback immediately. And I think that's why he chose football. Why spend yeah. several years in the mind is where he can immediately be in pro ball. <laughs> yeah, but he did not look good. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I he he uh, looked like he was rushed. Um, wasn't completing his passes, and he looks really undersized. Uh, like everybody looks bigger than him. Uh, <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just decided I'd watch uh, Kyler Murray's football game <laughs> just to see what could have been. Well, at least it didn't make you super depressed where he was like doing so great that you yeah. wish he would chose in baseball and bring his skills as an <laughs> athlete to that to the Oakland A's. But <laughs> he looked fast though. That's what I'll say. Um, That's positive. A, yeah, but beyond that, I. I mean, I don't really know football, so I can't really give you a review of him. So yeah, I probably wouldn't understand most of it because football ain't my thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, yeah so, I'm sorry, Dan. Well, now you can root for the Yankees. <laughs> uh, I think I'm done with baseball. I'd rather be done with baseball than root for the Yankees. Oh, that, that <laughs> I hope the Yankees. Yeah. No, I I hope the Yankees beat the Astros. I don't want to see the Astros back in. Either the World Series, yeah. I keep saying this. I'm not 
scared of facing the Astros. I'm scared of facing Justin Verlander because he, he again looks dominant. He had his first start yesterday and he just looked fantastic. And we, I know well all too well what he did with the Yankees in 2017. So here's hoping Tampa could come back and beat the Astros and the Yankees can finish the job on the Twins. They're up 1-0 right now as we're recording this episode. Game two yeah. starts in just about an hour and a half. So we have to make sure this episode is done by then, Dane, so I can be stressed out and watch game two <laughs> live. It okay, well then, well then, all we got to do is say Joker was good, Birds of Prey was good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs> but no, how, first off, how could we do an episode without our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary? Right, it wouldn't be a bad fans episode without it. So let's go ahead and get right into that. We are on the two hour and 14 minute mark or the 134 minute and through the 135 minute mark. So, as always. Wait, Tim, wouldn't that be 144? No, don't tell me I skill. No, I, where I'm at, we should be at this exact same spot where we left off, last left off on our episode. Yeah. Okay. See, know, this is what I happens just... when we miss our normal recording schedule. We can't remember where. Yeah, we're out <laughs> of the Dark Knight Rises commentary. <laughs> but yeah, if we went to like the two hour and 24 minute mark, we'd be pretty close to the end. <laughs> so we're not that far. We'd be in the, I think we'd be in the credits. Wouldn't we? Would we? I don't know. See, so, yeah, I'm tempted to skip over there right now, but I don't want to lose my spot where I have a pause. So <laughs> it'd take forever just to go back to get exactly right. at 214.0. But. Go ahead and get your VHS copy, your DVD, your Laserdisc, your Betamax tape, your HD DVD version, your Blockbuster membership video card to go rent it, your Netflix physical media. Go go to your mailbox, check it, see if you got that red envelope, and if Dark Knight Rises is in there, go ahead and pop it in. <laughs> oh, Tim, yeah, I, I somehow don't miss those days. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> Which I got to say, I never really did too much renting the physical media from Netflix. I used to do it for TV shows. Mm, Okay. Yeah, because the box sets were so expensive. Yeah. Yeah, so I used to do it for TV shows. It's crazy to think how convenient it is now just to stream it all. (laughs) Yeah. And it sucked because you you would get one disc and it would only be like eight episodes. And if if it was like a half an hour show, you know. (laughs) Constantly switching the discs. (laughs) <laughs> you're done in a day you gotta send it back and then you gotta wait for the next one. Oh, they don't even send you the whole series and like multiple no, no. oh really send you <laughs> wow one. yeah yeah, yeah I, so... that wow yeah i can imagine that being very irritating <laughs> that you're trying to binge a series but... yeah you said it right glad those days are behind us <laughs> when it comes to netflix right but as always we can't forget the best Grab your VHS to DVD converter and enjoy The Dark Knight Rises the way it was meant to be seen. The only so, way to watch it. Yes, especially for the big climactic ending of the film, which we are now fully in. So, <laughs> are you ready, Dane? Yes, I am. Okay, we'll give the countdown in three, two, one, go. As Lucius is running to the reactor there. I always this interaction between john blake well i don't think it's right here but as john blake's trying to give the kids assignments here to you know get tell everyone as they can to make to the bridges of gotham but his old you know mentor there was like 
keeps questioning him and <laughs> like like being the doomsayer about everything in front of the kids and John Blake has to correct them. <laughs> I know. Why would you say that in front of kids? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's later on. But now we're back to the good stuff with Bane and Batman and their fight. Again, this shot I remember seeing in the trailer for the first time is Batman on the ste- steps right there, the snow falling down. Like, oh man, I can't wait to see this whole fight. Not as much as you know the big event in their first fight between Batman and Bane, but knowing that he was going to come back and face off against Bane again, I couldn't wait. And we're still going to have to wait to see the end of the fight as oh. a minute is up. Oh no! I don't know if you can wait that long, Dean. But I can't. Gotta keep spoiler free. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I gotta. I just gotta find out what happens at the end of this movie already, Tim. I know it's been you know seven years, which like, <laughs> it, in itself just saying that's hard to believe. We're getting yeah. close to ten on the movie, but <laughs> seven years you've been spoiler free, Dane, on how this movies end, right? You got wow. no clue. Well, at least we're committed to something, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if anything else, you could say that about our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. Yeah, but with that we can go ahead and get into our main topic for this episode and what else can it be except our review for Joker yes it is here last time we were talking about it it was just going over the second trailer where we were the trailer came out and then it had its first screening at the film at the Venice Film Festival I believe and just getting Great reviews from everyone who was seeing it there. It, it won the top prize, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. The, the Golden Lion? Yeah, I think that's, that's yeah. what it's called. Yeah. So, yeah, the buzz surrounding it was really high, and it just made us more excited to see the movie. So, and it's here. We've seen it. Does it live up to the hype? We'll find out right now. <laughs> but um, <laughs> before we get into the specific, you know, spoiler discussion of it i guess we'll just give our general reactions to how we felt once the movie was over and what we thought about it so um i'll throw it to you first dane what was your first reaction to it after the credits were rolling and the movie was over i hated it tim oh. <laughs> no no i i it's still sticking with me um and i think that's the the the, the main point i kind of want to get across here is that yeah i loved it uh and it, it it just sticks with you like like every every little thing just sticks with you and yeah i, I was totally amazed um I, I i hate to say it tim but i think this might be the iconic joker for me interesting, interesting. yeah i i don't i, I don't want to say anything bad about uh, heath ledger but sure i think think this might be the, the definitive version um interpretation of, of the joker for me because it, it 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 is a interpretation of the joker it's not the joker that heath ledger portrayed or the joker in the comics or the you know the joker that we've seen previously in movies mm. uh this is completely separate from that and i think this is the ah, tim <laughs> saying it but i think this is this is the best interpretation we've gotten hey there's nothing wrong with that man if that's how you feel and if anything at the very least that discussion is up there now to have amongst you know fans about which joker they like 
Bethesda and what interpretation they felt because it is that good, like you said. So I think it's just great in itself that we can even have that debate now. Which, yeah. you know, after seeing The Dark Knight for the first time, we thought, okay, case closed, it's done. <laughs> you know, no, nothing's going to top Heath Ledger. And I'll get into what I think about those two performances later on because I do have some stuff to say about that, but I'll get into that oh. later once we get to a specific thing. So, oh. um, but I definitely can understand anyone who would like this version as being their favorite now because of, you know, the portrayal and the story we got with this movie. Yeah, it's so different and it's not copying Heath Ledger um, like uh, Jared Leto did. Mm. Um, it's it's yeah, totally, aspects. completely different. And I love what they did with his laugh. Yeah. Uh, where it's a, it's a mental illness thing. It's It's not a... It's not he thinks it's funny. It's yeah because he has this this thing, which apparently is a real thing. Yeah, um, I've I've heard that. that yeah, was, yeah. That started being a thing because uh, I remember hearing that going into the movie. I forget where how that it was going to be a medical di- condition that he had. It just wasn't a maniacal laugh that he developed because he's crazy, but it was yeah. a medical condition. And I, I agree, it worked really well. And yeah. for his character arc and for what they wanted to do for him in his transition to the Joker as well. Yeah, so I I don't know. I mean that that was one of the main things that I thought was really interesting was that they 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 didn't make it like you know, it's it's a maniacal laugh like 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 how you say. Um it's it's just it's this medical condition that he gets when he he's uncomfortable in a situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we saw it on that train. Uh, with yeah. the the businessman, you know um, what, Dane? I yeah. mean, I'm just gonna say it right now because we're getting into it. Well, I'm throwing the spoiler warning out right now, oh. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> as we're getting into certain things and stuff, I want to jump in and talk about. So, um, yeah. I'll just real quick say my initial thoughts after the movie was over, the credits were rolling. Was that I loved it. I went into it. You know, I said before how I was gonna throw away all my preconceived notions about the Joker and what I know about him, and I think that was a great decision I made to do because, like you said, it is so different, but yet it is something that really does stick with you. It was so well done performance-wise, story-wise. This, I think all of it meshed together for giving us something really special with this story of the Joker. And like you said, it sticks with you. I mean, I've been thinking about it yesterday, today, and just couldn't wait to talk about it. That's the other thing that I felt right after the movie was over is that I got to talk about this movie with someone. So I just texted you pretty much right away. Is that, have you seen it yet? Are you going to see it? Yeah, <laughs> and right. then you said, yes, you did. And you texted me back like while I was sleeping at midnight or something. <laughs> <laughs> so like you said, you said, wow. And then I, I was, I think later that day, I said, you texted me why, like, while the credits were still rolling. So yeah, <laughs> which was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Like I, I, I was pretty amazed by this movie. So like, with the credits rolling, people were leaving. I, I usually like to stick back and let the crowd go first. Um, and I was like, you know what? I got I, I, I got to text him about this because this is, oh, man. It was, yeah, it, it, it amazed me. And it was exactly what I needed after Oakland A's loss. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I to be honest, I kind of didn't even want to go. <laughs> I mean, I was tired. Uh, my my girlfriend didn't want to go, so I went by myself. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm so glad that I did. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean because I was having a busy week. A lot of had a lot of stuff planned. I was like, yeah. I gotta 
make sure I squeeze in Joker because I definitely want to see it and make sure we talk about it for our next episode. So I just went straight after work. And thankfully, there was a five o'clock showing. I got yeah. off at 4.30, so I was able to go straight to the theater and check it out. And I, like you said, afterwards, I was so glad I did because it's it was quite the experience. So, yeah, those are our initial impressions of it and reactions after it was over. So throwing the spoiler warning out there again, we are going to go into specific details about the film and what transpires. So spoiler warning in effect. So going back to what you were saying about that moment in the train, because I think that's an important part of the movie. Some I wanted to talk about, so might as well start with that. <laughs> so we're talking about how his, you know, laughter is a medical condition and how I love how it contrasts with, you know, he does it when he's feeling the most uncomfortable or angry, sad or whatnot, but it's, you know, coming out as something that he's doing as funny. And it's just, you know, I think at its most poignant in that scene on the subway where he's seeing those three businessmen, you know, just, you know, harassing that woman on the train, throwing food at her or whatnot. And he's, it just makes him uncomfortable seeing that. And I liked how they didn't try to make him, you know, be, the hero type character or the stand up guy, like to try to tell him, Hey, don't do that or leave her alone type thing. He was just feeling uncomfortable in that situation. And then that's what was making him laugh. And then they go over to torment him and just start beating up, beating him up and pounding him on the ground. And we saw little moments of that in the trailer. I was wondering how, because we know in the trailer, they showed showcased a lot of him getting punched, beat up, thrown about. It, it happened a lot in the trailers and we knew it was going to happen a lot in the movie and just wondering what causes that to happen. And I think those people viewing him, seeing him laugh like that and not understanding their reasons why was a great explanation as to why that type of stuff would happen to him. But, you know, that was the one point in the film where because, you know, there's been debate, controversy surrounding the movie about is it right to show the Joker kind of as a sympathetic character? And I will say I didn't really feel that way throughout most of the film watching because Arthur Fleck, I mean, they say in the movie he was dealt a bad, bad hand in life, but it's not a, an excuse to do what he does and transform into the Joker. So I wouldn't say it was like sympathizing with him, but empathizing with him in a few moments. And I think more so in this moment on the subway train where he can't control his laughter, but yet he's paying the price for it, but getting beat up by these businessmen. And then, you know, it takes the tragic turn where he has that gun that his fellow clown worker gave him and shot both of them. And, that was the beginning to is really the start of his transformation into the Joker and his, and his descent into madness there. And because it's one thing to him for him to do it, this shooting in self-defense after he's getting beat up, but which made you start feeling uncomfortable about, about it and not showing that he's not right in a, because he goes after that one guy, he just shoots in the leg and he wouldn't let him just walk away. He went out of his way to, you know, go after him, get off the subway and shoot him. And that's where you really felt, okay, this guy's going, really starting to go into the dark side, so to speak, and start his descent into transformation into the Joker. And it's such a powerful scene afterwards, I felt, where he runs away and he goes into that room, I think it was a restroom, and he just starts doing that dance. And he's just, the music's playing. That's another thing we'll get into. It's a score, how great that was for the movie. But he just, you know, he just starts dancing all by himself, no one's watching him. We see it in the trailer too. And just the lighting, the way it was shot, it just really captured him descending slowly into the madness that we know he's going to be as a Joker. Like 
kind of his first taste of finding his true self there and knowing how he's going to become the crazy maniacal evil Joker. And this is kind of him first accepting that, getting a taste of it and reveling in it away. That's what makes it, you know, disturbing in areas which they portrayed as far as him accepting that who he is. And that was the first exist or, you know, example of him showing that this is how he's going to be or, but the potential of how his life should be or sees himself, his true self in that moment. So it was just really well done of showing how, you know, something that starts off where you're feeling for this guy, just get beaten up on the train, but yet it's triggering something even more and just be going to become the person we know he will be in the Joker. But that whole sequence I felt was, you know, a very important one of showing just how this character and just really diving into the mental state of him, in his medical condition, his mental state, and then how it, and that experience is going to affect him pretty big later down the line of the movie. So, yeah, it was a really well done sequence of showing the start of the Joker being born. I felt. Yeah, and, and that was what I was going to ask you: is like, did did you feel sorry for him at any point in the movie? Uh, maybe in the beginning when he is getting picked on by those kids. Mm, and, yeah. Um, and he even says there, like, you should have like gone after him or do something. He says like, they're only kids or something like that, where yeah, he didn't want to per- pursue any more than you know, what happened to him or get, get even with him right then and there. But right. Right. And I like the fact that in the, is it 1981? I don't know the exact year, but definitely. Yeah. In the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. 1980s. 19, I, I like how they have a clown talent agency. <laughs> You can like rent a yeah. car or whatever for your business or I guess for a party, like a children's Anything, party. Yeah. <laughs> Hospital visits, as we saw, which didn't yeah. go too well. <laughs> no, it did not. That's why you don't bring a gun to a hospital. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't bring a gun anywhere. Especially yeah, the children's hospital. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess let's dive in more into Joaquin Phoenix's performance because i mean this is his movie and what a great performance on it's almost like he played two different characters here really just as arthur fleck being the person like i said being dealt the bad hand in life and how he's struggling with that and just trying to make it through wanting believing that he was there or his reason for living and existing is to make people happy and laugh because that's what his mother always told him and this seeing how we tried hard to do that. But, and as I just love how as movie unfold, bad things happen to him. It just really shows how his descent into the Joker really was kind of a slow build of sequences and tragedies that happened to him. And it all, cul- cul- if I could talk, culminated <laughs> into that one big, moment and revelation as far as what really sent him off the deep end but uh, Joaquin Phoenix did a great job as just portraying that type of character where like you said it is a hard thing where you're knowing that he's going to become the Joker and you're seeing this stuff happen to him early on in the beginning where you do feel um, this it sucks that this guy has to go through this type of stuff in his life but the mannerisms of Joaquin Phoenix just how he portrayed himself as Arthur Flegg and like I said, every time he would do that laugh where it just would happen out of nowhere and it felt, you know, it was like an uncomfortable laugh where you knew it wasn't just something where he is 
it wasn't done as someone who found something funny. There was something uncomfortable and unnerving about it as well, but it was just great. And then when he becomes the Joker, it's one of these things where it just a great thing about his portrayal is how, as we see Arthur as someone who's not confident in himself, obviously, and has yeah. insecurity issues and everything that is, you know, mental issues. And he's like, he, walk, he walks hunched over. Um, but once he becomes the Joker, you see that confidence in him. Once he has that makeup on, like he, his posture is better. He's walking with confidence. Like this is how he was meant to be. And I just love the difference of portrayals that Joaquin Phoenix did with that. As far as you know, it's the same character. And it's such a smooth transition from Arthur Fleck to the Joker. But yet he did a great job of showing the differences between pre-Joker and as the Joker. And it is so well done. And just the nuances he did throughout the course of the movie, just the way his speech pattern. Like I said, those dances that he would do throughout the course of the film as Arthur Fleck without makeup. And then once he becomes the Joker or the middle part where, like I mentioned, where he's in the bathroom after he killed those three people. Then when he fully embraces the Joker and he goes on that dancing spree that we see in the trailer, he's on the steps. And it just the little nuances there that just adds to his character in this version of the Joker are just all so well, well done throughout the whole movie. And as we were alluding to in the beginning, we thought it would be almost be impossible for someone to reach the levels of Heath Ledger's performance. And for me personally, while I can't say it's he's at Heath Ledger's level yet, it's just a notch below. And I think the debate's now there, which I never thought would have been possible of speaking of someone else, of giving a performance as great as Heath Ledger's was. But here we are with Joaquin Phoenix performances as the Joker. And we'll get into other certain aspects of his performance after talking about specific scenes. But just overall as a whole, I mean, we knew from the early buzz we were seeing, just even when he was cast, how knowing what a great actor he is, he was probably going to deliver something special with this performance. And he absolutely did throughout the whole course of the movie as Arthur Fleck. And then once he fully embraces the Joker. So, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say uh, an Academy Award nomination is going to be in his future. and Hopefully even a win, because I think he definitely deserves it. And how awesome would it be to have not one, but two Joker performances win Oscars? I mean, that's just a testament to how great this character is and just how so much you can get from a performance with uh, the Joker. So that would be awesome. I think it's a strong possibility that he will be getting that Oscar nomination and maybe even a win, but just a fantastic performance all the way around. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, Joaquin Phoenix really likes these kind of roles where I think he lost weight for this role. Oh, definitely. um, You know, he changes his body language and the the way he talks. um, Cause I, this this Joker movie reminds me of his previous movie, which is called uh, "You Were Never Really Here." He plays this this ex military guy who's now a hitman, and he looks completely different in this Joker movie. And I think he likes these kind of roles. But like you said, yeah, it was the body language sort of thing. And there's the there, there's that one scene I can't remember I can't remember exactly where it is, but I I remember thinking he he's he's sitting in. Uh, the 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 clown agency's uh-huh. um, uh, locker room and it's a shot from above and you're looking down at him and then he he do, he's sitting on like a bench and he doesn't have his shirt on uh-huh. you see his spine sticking out yeah and he looks all skinny and unhealthy and stuff 
And then you look at him when he's full on Joker and it's a completely different character. So like you said, it's like two different characters it's from two different movies. Um, but yeah, I, I can't say enough about Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker or, an, or as an actor. Um, like I said, like his previous movie, you were never really here. He plays like this ex-military guy and you know he has the beard he's big he's bulky and you look at him in this and he's skinny and he's gangly and he he looks like he's like something's wrong with him you know mm. so yeah I, I yeah i can't say enough about joaquin phoenix yeah and i think his laugh joker laugh is up there as might be the best out of all the live action jokers that's i think that might be the one area where he surpassed heath ledger's because not that heath ledger had a bad joker laugh but i didn't felt it was you know as up there as like some of the greats like mark hamill is the best out of all the actors but just talking about live action there's something about heath ledger's where it was good but not quite crazy joker enough <laughs> for me and Jack Nicholson, yeah. I think I said this before, where he kind of looks not like he had trouble laughing. <laughs> where it was like it was hard, like hard to breathe when he did it. It was like type <laughs> <laughs> of thing. But yeah, Walking Phoenix's laughter, like I said, it felt like crazy and made you feel uncomfortable. But yet, yeah. someone that it's a medical condition just I think takes it to another level as far as the reasoning behind his laugh. So yeah, just everything about his portrayal was so yeah. good. Yeah, I, I think what makes it really good is, like you said, when you attach that that medical condition thing to it, um, that there's a reason behind it. It's not just, I am crazy, I am a psychopath, you know, sort of thing. And then at the end, um, how he kind of changes or embraces how he doesn't view it as a medical condition, but how that's kind of how who he, just who he is type of thing. Yeah, where, yeah. So I forget the exact bit of dialogue there how he explains it just another reason why i want to see it again just to see more of those details and explanation diving into his character but it was something where he kind of changes the way he views it not as a medical condition but just as something that who he is now you you're talking about at the end when he's talking to the the doctor i believe it was when he was talking to his mother before he kills her oh okay if i remember right yeah Ah, i see Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing I want to make or talk about and get into is just the story they came up for this origin of the Joker. Because even when this movie was announced, there was a whole debate about the Joker doesn't need an origin story. He works best when you don't know anything about him. He just shows up like in the Dark Knight. And you're not going to get any argument from me about that because we saw how amazing that type of story for the Joker works. And I probably would agree that if I had to pick and choose between one of the Joker having an origin and just having not a particular origin story or that it's a mystery, I'd probably go uh, with the latter because how well it can play for a Batman story against the Joker, as we saw in The Dark Knight. But at the same time, I am in no way opposed to having an origin story for the Joker. Obviously, we got it with The Killing Joke, which was you know regarded as the definitive origin for the Joker in in the comics. Even that was up to debate as far as it being accurate or not. The classic line from Joker, I'm going to have a pat. I prefer it to be multiple choice. So even that's not truly definitive, but I know in some fans' minds, and for a time I felt it was. But And then you throw in Batman 89, Mask of the Phantasm, where we see the Joker was originally 
uh, hitman or working for the mob. So there has been origin stories for him that worked. And so I was never against that I- idea. It was just a matter of how well it was going to be done and if is it going to work. And going into it, knowing, I mean, the first bit of information I got as far as not being sure about if it's going to work is knowing that it's going to be pre-Batman, how Batman is not going to exist here. This is going to be the time where he's Bruce Wayne is just a kid. Thomas and Martha Wayne are still alive, and we're going to get a Joker decades before Batman is going to be coming to an existence. And will that work? Because you can't have Joker without a Batman, you know, as it's often compared to two sides of the same coin almost, and they're destined to go against each other, one representing good and the other evil. And hey, Tim, can, can I just jump in right here? Go for it. Because um, you mentioned Batman. Um, uh, later, it, I think it's uh, when he, yeah, when he goes to Wayne Manor uh-huh. and Bruce goes down the bat pole or uh-huh. <laughs> whatever that is, That that that's one of my all. One of my only criticisms of uh, this movie that, that that was a little you know a, a little <laughs> too thick for me. <laughs> you know what? Okay. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't think about that. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just because you know we're seeing Joker meeting a young Bruce Wayne here, and when is that? That has never happened before. So yeah, <laughs> um, I didn't necessarily realize that, but then when I saw like a YouTube video about Easter eggs in the joker and it's like oh okay that makes sense <laughs> how it's the bat fall <laughs> yeah it's a little too much but um yeah not enough That's to, what I wanted to say <laughs> <laughs> no so yeah thinking of introducing the joker this way if that wasn't going to work but that's where that was one of the things going into it where I just got to let go this is such a different interpretation now I got to expect the unexpected with this and not go into it wanting things to be comic book accurate or things that I know from the Batman lore to be accurate with this movie. So I just had to leave that aside and it's, it totally works <laughs> without Batman being in, involved with the story. But I will say it made me excited for the potential. I don't think we're going to get this and because I've seen interviews now where Joaquin Phoenix has uh, mentioned how him and Todd Phillips talked about there could do more with this story and with this character, not necessarily going up against Batman, but just doing more stories with this version of the Joker. So you never know. But and as this movie is going to prove to be successful, like it looks like it's going to be with its financially, uh, they Warner Brothers may want to do more and do a sequel. So you don't know. But um, it did make me want to see a Batman go up against this Joker, even though, you know, there'd be a huge age gap and that will definitely feel weird <laughs> seeing what maybe a 50 year old joker going up against a 20 something batman i don't know <laughs> so but at the same time those type of stories can work and it made me think of um batman the enemy was in the second um chapter of the telltale games where it was established that riddler was an old-time criminal and villain before batman showed up and seeing batman because the game takes place early on in Batman's careers and him seeing Batman kind of causes him to come out of retirement and bring up the Riddler persona again to become, you know, someone to take on Batman. And I could totally see that happening with this Joker if they ever decide to throw Batman in the mix, even though he will be old because the Riddler was older and the enemy was then, and they could kind of do the same thing with Joker. But I think it would make, it could make sense. And especially with what happened in the ending, which will Safe for last, because that's what I really can't wait to talk about. But <laughs> um, I think there is a way to do it. But regardless, the story they did 
was having the Joker in a world without Batman worked really, really well. I think probably as good as it can be because I just love how they incorporated, you know, even though this movie, I've even said it how it does, it feels like a comic book movie like no other and sometimes can probably be described as not even feeling like a comic book movie, but there was just enough comic book stuff and Batman lore in there that made it feel like, you know, which I appreciate it too. You got to give something to the comic book fans because you're adapting a comic book character. So there's got to be elements in this movie that you know from uh, the source material that you're taking from. So the idea that they throw in Thomas Wayne there and how he was involved with Arthur Flex's backstory and history, I thought was well done and wasn't sure if it was going to work because I remember hearing rumors or reading potential spoilers about it how he might be thomas wayne's son in this movie and i was thinking hmm, i don't know about that having him and bruce potentially be brothers i'm not sure if they're going to pull it off and yet i was invested in that story that arthur fleck was exploring and trying to discover for himself is thomas wayne his father and why did he you know doesn't see him or acknowledge him or his mother but here's where i think is brilliant we don't know if that's the case in the movie in typical Joker origin story fashion, they leave things open for interpretation or to quote Joker again from the killing joke, multiple choice as far as who to believe and what his true history is. Because I liked how, you know, his mother keeps, she's obsessed with Thomas Wayne. She writes him these letters and she views him as their savior. He's a good man. He cares for, you know, the, the less fortunate people in Gotham, the lower class, and he's going to help us. But yet Arthur Fleck, doesn't believe that at all thinks you know his mother shouldn't even bother but then when he finds out thomas wayne or in that letter she the letter she wants him to mail he opens it and he, he finds out that thomas wayne and his mother had a relationship an affair and that he is his son so that's of course leads to the confrontation with him and bruce at wayne manor and a younger alfred too which they didn't mention him by name but come on you have to assume that was alfred <laughs> but then later on as you're kind of accepting that's the version they're going to go with this Joker. He's going to be related to Bruce. Then they throw in something else where Thomas Wayne, you know, just denies all that. And you, he tells him, no, you're brought, you're adopted. Your mother, you know, she's mentally ill. She spent time in Arkham and you can't believe what she was saying. I was never involved in a relationship with her. So then you're thinking, okay, so he's not related to Bruce and is not Thomas Wayne's son, but yet, um, I was even thinking this before she said it, but because this Thomas Wayne isn't, I think, you know, the best version of Thomas Wayne as, you know, being a totally good person. You can see he's kind of have some, you know, I want to call it a crooked politician because, you know, he was running for mayor, but he wasn't specifically in politics. But some there might be a little corruption in him or someone who would try to cover things up. And Joker's mother said that in the, one of those flashback sequences where she is in Arkham. And she says, you know, he's just trying to cover up, protect his name, protect his family. But, you know, Arthur is his son. And I kind of felt that to be the case where even though he was denying it, there's proof, there's adoption papers that, you know, she believes he forged. And I think this version of Thomas Wayne is someone who could do that. So I just love how there is no definitive answer, but yet that idea is out there. And it's just up for the audience to decide which version of Arthur's history that you're going to believe. So that was just one aspect that I thought worked really well for this 
origin story of the Joker, throwing in the Wayne connection, but yet not being sure if it totally is the case in typical Joker fashion. So I love that little subplot they threw in there for his origin here. Yeah, I don't like it very much. I think it's a little too close to really? the Wayne family. Yeah, um, I. Why can't he just be a separate thing? You know, Hunkerman has to be so intertwined. And you, you, you made reference to um, the ending of uh, this movie, and yeah, it's it's another criticism I have of this movie where it's it's just a little too close. Oh boy, to, I sense a big disagreement on this that yeah, part once we get yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a little too close for me. Um, I did like this interpretation of Thomas Wayne, though, mm-hmm. where uh, he, he's a less extreme version, I'd say, of the, the Thomas Wayne from the, the Telltale games. Yeah, they, they didn't go that far. <laughs> uh, yeah, they didn't go that far, but you can tell he he has done some things that aren't very pretty. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, it it was just a little too close for 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 me. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. And again, that was one of the potential story ideas I wasn't sure was going to work going into it. Yeah. I always kind of forgot about that subplot because once he read that letter and found out that he could be Thomas's way inside, I go, oh yeah, that's right. That was something that was rumored to be a part of this movie. And I think that is something at least for me anyway, where the big age gap between him and Bruce helps, where even though they potentially could be half-brothers, there's such a big age gap where it doesn't probably feel as closely connected as it could have been if they're the same age and kind of fighting over you know, the right heir of the Wayne family, something to that degree. But it definitely didn't go into that far into it as far as what it could mean if he was really part of the Wayne family. But I think if they're going to do something that connects the Joker to the Waynes as a potential family member, this was probably as good as it could be done without going too far, but yet still having that connection. So for me, it worked, but I can understand if that is something that was maybe a little pushing a little too far for having it to be connected. But at the same time, like I said, at the beginning of this plot point talking about it, where I did like that there was, they stepped in a little bit of that Batman history and Lord to still have it feel like you're watching something within the Batman universe. So in the end, it worked for me overall. But the other aspect I wanted to get into regarding the story in the, this version of the origin of the Joker is how it really played into that lower class citizens of Gotham and just how bad, because things were pretty bad in Gotham in this movie. I mean, you have to reference super rats <laughs> being yeah. in Gotham. And the, the trash. Yeah, the trash. The, the trash isn't yeah, being picked up, mm-hmm. uh, which apparently is a real thing that happened in New York City. The, the trash workers went on yeah. strike. Yeah. So, so things aren't well in Gotham. Yeah. <laughs> and just, they really drove on the point of like the really the lower class being looked over and kind of almost stepped upon by the upper class and Thomas Wayne kind of being that, uh, I guess, the... Uh, poster child so to speak of that upper class of someone who's not who says he wants to do what he can as mayor to help the lower class but doesn't really seem like his main attention then it goes into the whole thing of mentioning them as being clowns when he's talking about the murder of those three businessmen who work for wayne enterprises and how that kind of triggers the mob mentality mentality of viewing those killings by the joker as like a vigilante act and as something that you know, as a rallying 
cry, so to speak, to as their movement to go up against Thomas Wayne and the upper class citizens of Gotham being tired of being, you know, overlooked and this everything just not working out for them. You get um, medical facilities closing down. I mean, Joker's or Arthur's uh, place where he went for therapy was shut down. He wouldn't be able to get his medication. And that played a factor in him to really descending into the madness of the Joker. So all these things where the lower class citizens of Gotham were just being affected by for the worse. And the Joker kind of became their vigilante and their hero, so to speak. And I felt that was a very interesting way to go for the legacy of the Joker to begin here um, as someone who would be looked on not as a hero, so to speak, to them, but as a vigilante type character for justice for uh, the lower class. So I felt that was an interesting way to go, but I thought I thought worked well for the Joker in building up that reputation. We know he was he would get as you know, one of Batman's arch nemesis, the greatest criminal villain ever that Gotham is going to see. So it started early on as you know just as an idea or someone to look at as a vigilante type figure for these lower class citizens of Gotham. So how did that story aspect play out for you, Dan, as far as building up uh, Arthur's descent into the Joker and kind of, I guess, rise as a Joker, so to speak, as someone who becomes the greatest villain Gotham will ever see? Yeah, you see, I I read an interview with uh, Todd Phillips, right? Mm-hmm. And I... I can't remember where it's from, like Entertainment Weekly, EW.com or something. Yeah, I can't remember where it's from, but he's he kind of wanted to leave it uh, up to audience interpretation, whether or not this is the Joker that we know and love from, you know, Batman lore. Is this just an interpretation where... Uh, is this just the first one you know mm-hmm. that that gives birth to the one that we do know which is something you know Gotham tried to do in its second season when they killed yeah. off um, their Joker which I'm Jerome I'm, there, there you go and I was not a fan of that idea <laughs> how oh, really? so, yeah, so, so maybe we don't have a 50 year old Joker or the, the age gap is like 30 years between Bruce and Joker, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really liked um, seeing his descent. If that Thomas Wayne thing is not true, that he, Thomas Wayne is right, and, you know, his mother is, un, uh, is unstable. Um, yeah, if, if, if that isn't true, then, yeah, I... I, I love it, but if it is true that Martha, I mean, um, uh, Thomas Wayne is Arthur Fleck's father, then I don't know. Well, see, that's I, the beauty of it. You can't choose to believe that he's not. That's yeah. <laughs> you can love I, it. So. I, I guess so, but it's just the thought that he might be. It's <laughs> I don't know. Um, but but I I did like his descent. Um, you know that that. He, uh, his mother wasn't his biological mother. He was adopted. Um, and just seeing how he, abused he, he was. was yeah, yeah, he was abused. Um, and I think the icing on the cake was that, um, and we, we, we haven't really mentioned her, but uh, his neighbor. Yeah. Uh, what was her name? 
Sorry, Tim. I, I believe uh, her name uh, was Sophia, Sophia in the movie, but the Sophia. actress is Zazie Beetz. Yeah, Zazie Beetz, right? Deadpool too, <laughs> which <laughs> she was great in. Um, yeah, I think that was the icing on the cake for her. Like all that stuff that we've seen, that all their interactions was all made up. Yeah. In audition. That was a powerful moment, I will say. And again, just typical Joker fashion where things you believe are true but end up not being true. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, th- that was pretty devastating. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, so all that stuff. Again, I'm glad you brought up that point with uh, his neighbor. I believe, like, again, I believe it was, her name was Sophia. But all yeah. that time thinking... You know, she's someone who gets Arthur Fleck, his mindset, the way he does things, finds him funny at that stand-up comedy club where, you know, he's bombing. Uh, again, the, I just keep going back to his laugh, the way he just goes up there. He just can't control himself. He's nervous. He's feeling uncomfortable, yet he's laughing, making like, you know, it's something that's a joke to him. It's oh, so good how he portrays that. But then he finally works out of his nervousness and starts telling these jokes that aren't funny. It's still awkward, but yet you see her in the club smiling you know encouraging him and you do hear a few claps and cheers from the audience and you end up thinking oh it went pretty well for him and then they go out walking she sees that poster of the killer clown vigilante on there and she kind of agrees with it says oh i'm glad he killed um those businessmen like the, we're better off without them agreeing and that makes him feel good about those killings but yet once we get the revelation that it was all in his head. It makes perfect sense because it's, you think to yourself, man, someone like her would agree with that or like easily fall for Arthur by, you know, first he stalks her, he follows her for a day and then yeah. she calls him out on it and she's cool with it. Like, okay. <laughs> like then he asked her, do you want to go out? And she says, yes. So it's almost like, man, is she almost as messed up as he is to <laughs> be okay with someone doing all this stuff? But man, it made total sense when he's, sitting in her apartment and she's shocked to see him and she goes oh you're that guy like when you're who lives in the building and then you get oh wait they've never interacted once after that elevator sequence where they first met and it was like oh man i don't know what's going to happen and that's another thing that's left you know in a- ambiguity where you don't know what happened to her you kind of fear the worst because he just turns around and mimics you know shooting himself in the head like she did when they first met in the elevator and you don't see anything. You just see him walking out of her apartment. You don't hear anything. You do hear ambulances going down the street in his apartment, but you don't know if they're going to his building to try to help her or what. But I don't know. It just left one of those things that just left interpretation to what happened. But it was, you know, pretty shocking yeah. when you see it play out like that. But again, I, just... I don't think her. <laughs> I don't think it was pretty, Tim. Neither do I, unfortunately. Yeah. But Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, and there was some, you know, part of the controversy with this movie is seeing the Joker, like, doing some disturbing evil things that we know the Joker would do. And I will say I didn't go as far as I think it was a lot of people built it up to be. I would argue that Heath Ledger's Joker did some more vile and terrible things. Right. But it was pretty bad, some of the stuff he, he did in this movie, as you saw Arthur Fleck become the Joker. And I think the one that made me feel the most uncomfortable was like, oh man, don't do it when he killed his mother the way he did. Especially after you saw the relationship they had where he was taking care of her and helping her. But once the idea was in his head of finding out that she 
you know, could be lying to him that she wasn't really his mother and just falling further, further down into madness is having him snap the way he did and just having to kill her. That, that was rough to see. And probably the one out of all the brutal stuff he did in the film that made you feel the most uncomfortable. But there were some other ones, too, where he killed his other fellow clown employee who kind of ratted him out. Can't, can't say I felt too bad for that guy because, you know, was pretending to be his friend, but he ratted him out, lied about him. But he got killed pretty brutally <laughs> in that yeah. sequence, which was like, ugh, seeing it happen that way. So, yeah. yeah, there is some brutal moments in there, but I will say, I going, I don't want to spend too much time on the controversy surrounding it, but I will say, I, I kind of feel it is a little overblown. And I mean, you have every right not to want to see it and don't think this movie is something that, you know, uh, you want to see or felt he even needed that needed to be out and to each their own. But I just felt this one's kind of got a little bit blown out of proportion for being something that should be like overly offensive or, you know, going too far with its violence or whatnot. I just think it, it earned its R rating and that's it. And with, with the Joker showing an origin story for someone who is one of the most evil pe- people created in fiction, you're going to ex- expect to see stuff like that. So I, I don't think it was, wasn't, more than I was expecting to see, I will say that, regarding, you know, the violence being overdone or celebrating violence in the way that I think a lot of people feared. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I I, I thought that it was it it, it was restrained. It, it it didn't go as far as like I had mentally prepared myself yeah. for it mm-hmm. to go. Um after all this controversy and people talking about it and uh, all these warnings being put out. Um, I mean, I understand why, and the connections are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see how somebody could misinterpret what, you know, uh, what happens in the movie. But, uh, yeah, it's it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Not as on the head as I thought it was going to be. Mm. Yeah. yeah, agreed. Okay, so let's get to the final thing the whole ending sequence and <laughs> boy this is where the movie just went to another level for me where it's really cemented that oh man this is great and it all starts i feel when he just walks out of his apartment full-blown joker costume and makeup and all leading up to the very end of the movie and we saw the stuff in the trailer with him like i said dancing on the stairs in the subway i didn't know he was evading two police officers once we saw the trailers but that was him trying to get away from, you know, them connecting him to the subway killings. But once he gets on the talk show, I forget his name. I just know his first name was Murray, played by Robert De Niro as like the Johnny Carson type late night you, talk show host. You can just call him Robert De Niro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Murray Franklin. Okay. Yeah, I got the IMDb up. <laughs> so once he's on the Murray Flakeland show and we got that moment in the trailer where he asked him, like, can you do me one thing, one favor? Can you introduce me as Joker? And I was wondering how he was going to get invited on the show. But it turns out, you know, he was made fun of by Murray Franklin and by seeing video of his stand-up comedy. And he wanted, that got a great reaction from the audience. And now he wanted to have him live on a show, kind of to poke more fun, fun at him and boost up his ratings, no doubt, if a lot of people like that clip. And so that's how he got invited on the show. And this was Arthur Fleck's dream. He was just obsessed with Murray Franklin. And that was another 
moment too. You knew this one was the dream sequence or wasn't actually happening where he was at his show and then Murray Franklin calls them down, tells him he wished he had a son like him, all that stuff. You kind of knew that was all in his head. Oh <laughs> but, yeah, I forgot about that. But still, you just yeah. it just showed how important Arthur viewed Murray as a comedian, as someone to look up to and inspired to be. So and once he saw all that, Murray made fun of him and his side of comedian. That's another thing just added to, you know, him becoming the Joker and just that other throwing that other example of, you know, someone in the upper class bringing down someone in the lower class, too. So, of course, once he knew he was going to be on, you knew he had bad intentions going into that interview. And as you saw him practicing what he was going to say, how he's going to enter onto the set. And then how he was going to tell a joke and he had that gun and what he was going to do. And he made it look like he was going to tell a joke and end up killing himself on TV. But this is one of the things that works so well in the movie as far as that whole sequence as he's going on the set of the Murray Franklin show. He walks out. I just had this whole uneasy, nervous feeling inside me where I was at the edge of my seat just wondering what is the Joker going to do here you know it's going to be something bad a part of me was thinking is he going to do something like in the dark knight returns where he kills the entire audience which would be horrible to see is he just going to kill murray franklin is he going to kill himself but the longer that sequence went on the more i just like had you know was shaking my leg just <laughs> clenching the <laughs> armrest on the movie theater chair just wondering what's going to happen you know it's going to be something bad but i don't know what it's going to be so I just felt the film did a great job of building the tension there of just wondering what was going to happen. What was the Joker going to do in that sequence here? It just played out really great. But I just love the whole interview portion of that sequence, too, of Joker coming to terms. Like, that's when he really decided to let go and fully embrace I'm the Joker now as he announced to everyone there and on live TV how he was behind the three killings on the subway train. And how we felt, kind of said it was a relief to say that now and just fully embrace it and how he enjoyed it and how, you know, it was something how he felt was that needed to be done. And then also it driving home that point of the lower class, you know, not standing for what's being done to them with the upper class of the Gotham. So that's one of those because there was a lot of poignant points made in that. Uh, interviews there that our, that Joker was saying and why he was doing what he did. And that's, that's one of the things that I want to see again, just to remember everything that was said there, but just how it all led up to the horrible thing that Joker was going to do was killing uh, Murray Franklin just right there with that gun. And just, again, another sequence where Walking Phoenix did a great job. No other sequence shows the difference between Arthur Fleck in the beginning than Joker in that moment where he just laying it all out how he feels, how, what person he is now embracing himself being the Joker. And I forget the exact line, but he's like, he's saying a joke. Of course, like I said before, he was talking about preparing a joke, which was going to lead to him shooting himself. And he was, I think what I took from it anyway, he was contemplating on still doing that. But as they kept talking, he announced how he was behind the killings. He was, it was just changing his way about what he was going to do and probably not decided to do that and then take it which led to him killing Murray Franklin and how he, uh, I forget the exact dialogue, but I know it was something that was made it like his frustration just boiling over. And he's finally, he just had enough there. And he was per people like Murray who he used to respect, but yet didn't care one bit about 
anyone who was kind of beneath them. And he Murray represented that and Joker was going to take it out on him. And that's when he shot him in the head and which led to the whole riot sequence at the end of the movie, which, um, Ethan, before you get to that, can, yeah, go can ahead. I just say, yeah, I, I thought when he pulled out the gun, uh-huh. I, I thought it was, and he pulled the trigger. I, I, I thought it was going to be uh, the classic jo- Joker gag, where it's just a oh, flag that bang. pops down to be a bang. Okay, this is bang on it, or at least that's what I wanted it to be. <laughs> that would have been something. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the bang, but then it actually is the gun, like in Return of the Joker. Yeah, because I'm thinking about that. I'm remembering a little bit of the bit of dialogue he says, where he says before he shoots him, how the punchline of the joke is that you type of people get what you deserve and that's when he shoots them and this everyone yeah. freaks out and runs out but then he goes up to the camera and then just starts talking before they cut him off and that's where we get to the riots and the riots weren't happening because of his appearance on the show there were people embracing that whole clown persona as a protest to thomas wayne and what he said that they were going to protest i believe uh, some type of event in gotham i don't remember exactly what it was but then it just turned into a full-blown riot and just how it coincided with Joker's reveal and appearance on the Murray Franklin show, which is something, you know, that just all came to a boiling point and just really started bringing home how things are never going to be the same in Gotham now. <laughs> but the Joker has made his appearance. People are kind of embracing that as him, as their hero, and just going all out with riots and this, you know, causing chaos in Gotham, but the Joker is known to bring chaos. So um, here's the big moment where apparently it's kind of divisive I'm finding out, but <laughs> which is kind of surprising me, but we're getting the whole sequence of these clowns, people in clown gear rioting Gotham. Joker's being taken away in custody. They did arrest them, but then an ambulance crashes into the police car. It's been taken over by these clowns and they bring the Joker's body out. Of course, he's hurt from the crash and they bring him out and they raise him up, put him on a car, bringing their savior, their king, almost like Messiah type figure. They're believing anyway, the people who feel this way and just embracing the Joker as their symbol. And that's where Joaquin Phoenix, like all the accolades and praise he was looking for as Arthur Fleck. I said Joaquin Phoenix. I meant (laughs) Arthur Fleck, What he was looking for. He's getting now as the Joker. Now that he fully embraced who he is and then you get that moment where he takes the blood on him he just smears it into that you know iconic joker grin that we know the character has and there's been debate as far as if that's actually happening or not and as i'm watching the movie i'm fully taking it in that yeah this is what's happening to joker the lead like the legend of the joker is being born here and to be as becoming one of the greatest criminals that gotham's ever going to see it all started right here and he became known and but yet once we see him later on in i assume it's arkham <laughs> being you know talked to by one of the doctors or the psychiatrist there people are wondering or i've seen some people online wondering like how would he get captured again or be brought into arkham unless you know all that was just a dream like he got hit by the car or the ambulance and that was it he just imagined the whole thing of him being cheered by the other citizens of gotham who were looking up to him so that's another thing that's up for debate as far as happening. But for me personally, I kind of accepted it as that is something that did happen. And that's where, you know, the Joker truly became known in Gotham City. But the big thing I wanted to get into was how this whole sequence coincided with 
the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne. And I got to be honest, as I was watching the sequence play out, I was thinking to myself, man, things are so crazy. Crime is as awful as it ever has probably been in Gotham up to this point. And Thomas and Martha Wayne are still out there. I'm, I wonder, I think it would be kind of cool if somehow this is connected to the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne. But you know what? I don't think we're going to get that in this movie. They, we've had a little bit comic book connections, you know, with the Waynes even being in this movie. But this film on itself has proven of doing something so different, not being tied to the Batman mythos that I don't think they're going to go that route. But yet, once I saw that theater and it said Zorro on there, I go, oh boy, I think they're going to do it. <laughs> and then we see Thomas, Martha, and Bruce walk out running from like, the riots and the mob that's over there. I feel, okay, oh man, they're doing it. Or maybe we're just going to see it, them coming out of the theater, and then you just got to assume what happens next. But nope, they went for it. They show him go in the alley, and we saw a, one of the people in the clown mask see them, and they know they hate Thomas Wayne. He's the one who dubbed him the clown, so he's public enemy number one in their minds. As he sees him, he just walks by, and he meets them in the alley, and he just goes, I believe he says, like, he just calls him out, and he goes, time for you to get what you deserve, quoting the Joker for what he said to Murray Franklin there, and he just shoots him, and then... We see him shoot Martha Wayne too, and we see the always that iconic moment in the murder Wayne murders of the pearls being ripped off and falling, and Bruce is there to see it all. And you know what? I might be alone in this. I'm finding I'm one of the few who actually like this, but I love how they incorporated that in this movie. And I know some the reactions for it is going to be. Oh, it didn't really add anything. It was just something to throw in there for the fans of, you know, showing that, hey, this is, you know, a little nice Easter egg to show the how Batman is involved with this somehow in a movie that doesn't involve Batman. But here's why I really like it. And I think it works really, really well with this story and what they're doing with the Joker. First off, if you're going to have the Joker be involved in the murder of the Waynes, I think this is a great way to do it where he's not actually involved. It's not, you know, Batman 89 where Joker actually kills Thomas and Martha Wayne. But the idea that Batman's greatest enemy, the Joker, his actions inspired and spawned someone to do what they did. It's still a random person, a random criminal, a random mugger. Hey, that person under the mask could be named Joe Chill still. We don't know. But the fact that this killing was, you know, kind of brought about by the Joker, Batman's greatest enemy. I think there's some nice, I don't know what you want to call thematic element to it that just adds something for this version. I'm not saying it's something that's my favorite, but this version being something so different than anything we've seen with the Joker before, this element of how he was involved with the murder of Thomas Martha Wayne, I think is something that worked really well in this version of the Joker that they created. And who knows if, like I said, we'll ever get a story where this Joker goes up against Batman. But that's something now where I think makes their confrontation more interesting because Bruce knowing that this whole riot, Joker riots, I guess maybe it'll be called that the Joker riots. And obviously he's going to find out about his appearance on the Murph, the Murray Franklin show. He's going to understand his parents died because of this. Yeah. He's not going to know the exact name of the person who did it. But he knows this connection is going to be tied with the Joker. So if 15, 20 years down the line, an older Joker shows up when Batman comes down, 
you, that, that's going to make for an interesting confrontation, I feel. And that's something I would want to see. So it added that Joker element to the Wayne murders that I felt worked well for this version without him actually being the one to kill Thomas and Martha Wayne. So I felt if you're going to have a Joker connection to the murder of the Waynes, this was a pretty good way to do it, in my opinion. But the second reason where I think it works so well and why I love it so much, this movie, you know, it just showed how disturbing one man's descent into madness can be and how it affected the city as the riots were going on. You felt there was no hope there. And it could be a depressing movie to walk out of. Let's be honest. There's some I've seen some reactions saying, you know, you know, it's not a, it's obviously not a feel good movie. And for some, you could be left kind of, you know, on a downer. I don't want to say depressed, but that if you're going to the movie looking for a good experience and have a good time uh, and feel good afterwards, this isn't that movie because you know you're seeing the rise of the Joker and the chaos and the evil he's going to bring to Gotham City. But yet, just seeing the horrible tragedy of the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne, and you see Bruce standing there, as Batman fans, non-Batman fans, you know the story and his origin and know what's going to come because of that act of murder. And to me, that's the hope that's there in this movie. You know he's going to become Batman. All this chaos you see brought in by the Joker, you know there's going to be someone that's coming to fight against it and to fight against people like the Joker and who knows, maybe the Joker himself, like we're saying later down the line. But I just liked how just seeing Bruce standing there that gave that symbol of hope that, you know, Gotham needs and always has to have with Batman there. It's going to be a few years down the line, but I just I had a smile on my face and it's because it's such an iconic moment. And, you know, you want to call it in fiction of seeing the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne and what it does for young Bruce and knowing what he, he becomes as the great hero that he is destined to be after that. So I just love how it gave me that sense of hope that even though this movie's kind of ending on a down note and you're seeing the Joker be celebrated, you know, it's not going to last because Batman is coming and Batman is going to fight against the evil that the Joker represents. And I'm not sure if that was even the intentions of the filmmakers. Maybe they just put it in there as a, something for the fans to see. But for me and my viewing of it, that's how I took it. And that's why I think, it works so well of having that scene in there because you want to see someone fight up against the evil that Joker is being that he's representing in this movie and that's showing there because that's why we love the stories between Batman and the Joker. You got the greatest villain representing a great evil going up against the greatest hero and representing you know hope and fighting for all that is good against the evil that the Joker represents. So even though we didn't get a Batman Joker fight. In this movie, the fact that they show that Batman is going to come and exist in this universe, because I was kind of prepared of, you know, just thinking Batman won't ever exist in this version. It's a world where there's a Joker, but not a Batman. But seeing that Thomas and Martha Wayne got killed here, you know, Batman is is coming because there's not a story (laughs) version of Batman where he sees his parents get killed or he doesn't go on the path that we know he takes. So um, that's the reason why I. I love that they shot the Thomas and Martha Wayne murders shown in this movie, knowing that everything at Gotham isn't going to fall into madness. It's the Joker is not going to bring absolute chaos Bat there will be a Batman to come and fight it eventually later down the line. So I love that they put it in there and I thought it worked really, really well. And there was that moment too, at the very end where Joker's talking to the psychiatrist in Arkham 
and he's telling her, you don't, you wouldn't get the joke. And there's that quick shot showing Bruce standing there over Thomas and Martha Wayne's dead bodies. And I'm not sure, quite sure what they were trying to represent there. This Joker, because obviously he didn't see Thomas and Martha Wayne get murdered, but did he find out Thomas Wayne is dead now? And that's the joke that um, he's saying she wouldn't get and how he views, you know, that his father is now dead and that Bruce because Arthur obviously probably still feels Thomas Wayne is his father. And now that Bruce is probably going to have a bad life like he did. And that's the joke. But yet not knowing <laughs> what Bruce is going to become and become his greatest enemy as Batman. Or even if Joker's too old to be Joker <laughs> once Batman uh, shows up. But knowing that he's going to be there to fight against uh, the evil that he represents. So I don't know. I'm not quite sure what to make of that one quick shot of Bruce as Joker is saying that it's a joke the psychiatrist wouldn't get, but regardless, I just love that that's they included the Wayne murders in there and what it means to me as far as moving forward and how I interpreted that end sequence in the movie. That's a big reason why I loved it so much. So, Dane, tell me why you didn't like it as much because <laughs> I know that's coming. Uh, just keep it separate. Uh, it's pretty simple. Just keep it separate. That's uh, I don't know. I I. I like I said before, I think it's just a little too close for me. It's it's not something that I felt was needed in, in this movie. I, I don't think we we even needed to see Bruce. I'm sure maybe Thomas Wayne is a background character, but I, I, I kind of wish that they just kept it with Arthur slash Joker. Um, yeah, it's just too close for me. I just didn't like it how everything was connected to the Wayne family. Whereas, you know, you, you read a comic about the Joker and it's completely separate. It's, it's completely devoid of the Wayne murders. The, the Wayne murders were just done by just a random guy, which it is in this movie, technically, but it, it wasn't triggered by the Joker. You know, j- just keep it completely, completely, completely separate. That's, I don't know why we, we have to keep on connecting Joker to uh, the, either the Wayne murders or Bruce Wayne's life. You know, let's just keep it separate until <laughs> Bruce becomes Batman and then, you know, Joker shows up and, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, just keep it separate. It was too close for me. Yeah, I can understand that. And I normally agree where... I do like it where Joker just shows up because it's so unexpected for Batman. You know, like he has no idea yeah, like, yeah. as brilliantly done in the dark Knight. I mean, it doesn't get better than that, but I got to say, I, I wasn't expected to love that bit as much as I did and how it worked with the flow of this movie. So I, again, like if they're going to do it with the Wayne murders, having a Joker connection, I think this is probably as good as it's going to get. So <laughs> yeah, and it's but, not only that, it's also the fact that I don't think we need to see that the, the Wayne murders in a Joker movie, you know? Yeah, it's, I wasn't expecting like we don't, to see it, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, we don't really need to see that in a, you know, in, in, in what you've promoted as a indie movie done by one of the biggest studios. <laughs> I, I, I just don't think we need to see that, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, like I said, probably our biggest disagreement on the movie yeah. <laughs> over anything. But yeah. I kind of, like I said at the beginning, before we started talking about this 
final act as I think I might be in the minority of that because I've seen a few people have the same op- opinion that you did. So got to see if anyone else agrees with me. So if you're listening to this, let me know I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> and if not, if you agree with Dane, I'll gladly hear that too. <laughs> Just something I, don't know, I wasn't expecting, but glad we got with it. Um, I will say my one disappointment of the movie, it's maybe just even a nitpick really, but how it ended, the last shot of Joker kind of just trying to make his escape out of Arkham. Apparently he killed that psychiatrist he was talking to because we see him walking and there's blood stains on the floor from his shoes. And he just starts running down the hall to make his escape. Then he gets chased by a guard. Then he runs down the other way being chased by the guard. And you get the That's Life uh, song playing again, the Frank Sinatra song and i just felt like i don't know i think it would have ended perfectly on the shot it did with him you know embracing everybody applauding him as the joker because it really you know something like a thematic way to end the movie of showing the rise of the joker as he's you know being at the highest point in his life in his mind there so but then you see him in arkham and it kind of just felt the tone felt weird to me it's because it felt like more they're going for a comedy beat i guess to end it on because it just felt like him running down the halls back and forth was being played up for a laugh to end it on but i don't know if you felt that way i just felt the tone of that final shot something a little off to me and as far as to end the movie on um in in going with the theme of of i guess the movie i i thought it fit Mm -hmm. but i i can see how you can have a problem with it where it's like wait whoa why are we listening to this song? But yeah, it made sense um, in the other times they played it, but just in that final shot, it was mainly just a visual. I think of him running down the hallway back and forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I thought it fit. Yeah, so maybe it, that's just just to be like, oh, look how crazy Joker has become now, or Arthur has become now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? I guess that might be another thing. Maybe I'm alone on <laughs> my one nitpick on it there. <laughs> but yeah, so. That's our review of Joker. And I was, I was, I know, like I said at the beginning, I was waiting to say as far as the version of Joker is my favorite in live action between this and Heath Ledger. And for me, it is still Heath Ledger's. That performance, I still think, is the one that's the most transcended. But the reason I love it more, just as a, as a Batman fan, is because it doesn't get better than Batman Joker stories. And as great as this one is, as doing an origin story for the Joker without Batman being in it, it was fantastic, but yet the Joker Batman stories are still my favorite. And as far as live action is concerned, none are better than the Dark Knight. And Heath Ledger perfectly captured why the Joker is Batman's greatest enemy and the threat he represents to Batman. So the, his portrayal as being that type of Joker is still my favorite. But again, as we said at the intro, the fact that we can even have this debate now is someone being up there is or someone else's performance being up there as great as Heath Ledger's is something I didn't think we'd get this soon. So that in itself is just a testament to Joker and walking Phoenix's performance. So yeah, obviously we really, really liked it. Loved it even. So time to score it, Dane. What would you give Joker out of five? Uh, because it was kind of close to the, the, the Wayne family. Uh, and that's my only criticism of this movie. I, I, I just don't think they really needed that in this movie. But besides that, I loved Joaquin Phoenix. I, like, I, I loved how it was written, shot. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it four and a half out of five. 
Nice. You or know what? Let, let's just say 4.75. <laughs> Quarter higher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what, Dane? I'm going for it. I'm going to give it a five out of five. Wow, Tim. <laughs> a lot of it. Happy for you. <laughs> yeah. I got to say it exceeded my expectations because yeah. like I said at the beginning, was more excited for going into it after that second trailer and all the positive reviews and reactions that were coming for it. But it was one of those movies that lived up to those reactions and seeing it for myself was like, yeah, this is something great that we're seeing here. And, and maybe I'm alone on this again, but seeing how the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne and the birth of Batman was incorporated into it too. And how, brilliantly i thought it was done that kind of put it over the top for me as well so we got a little bit of that batman connection in there which i didn't think we're going to get at all so um yeah five out of five for me the performance the story they created for this version of the joker and while also throwing in you know how there will be a batman eventually to confront what the joker represents here so yeah all that stuff works so well for me so yeah it's definitely up there as one of my favorite movies of the year that i've seen so far so it's going to be interesting once the Rise of Skywalker comes out. It's the last movie I'm going to see this year and how my favorite movie rankings for 2019 are going to be because we got some pretty good ones. But Joker is definitely going to be among there. So, yeah, it was great to finally talk about it. I've been dying to yeah. talk about it ever since we, I saw it on Thursday. So I was looking forward to this one. And, yeah, it was just fun to get all the stuff we loved about it and even some of our nitpicks in there. So, yeah, glad it, for the most part, delivered for both of us. Yeah, and I was happy to see something completely different. You know, not not like a regular Marvel or DC movie. So something completely different, something that seemed more like an indie film. Yeah. Even though it was done, like I said, by <laughs> WB, Warner Brothers. Um, but it, it, it was really refreshing to see something different, that something different can still be done, you know, in this age where we have all these comic book movies, you know? So yeah, that's the final thing I'll say about this. Yeah. Yeah, So if you haven't seen it, go see Joker. And if you know, even if you didn't see it and hear our spoiler review of it and you know, everything that happens, it's still worth seeing for yourself and seeing how everything plays out and just for the performance of walking Phoenix alone. So yeah, definitely, definitely enjoy Joker and would recommend it. So, but before we end the entire discussion on Joker, we did get one response from one of our Twitter followers. And this is from Ocean Man. Take me by the hand with the Twitter handle at Dr. Girlfriend. And that's a, that's a name, Tim. Yes. <laughs> I have to say that's, that's pretty cool. Yes, yeah, a big Ocean Master fan because uh, the Twitter picture is of Ocean Master as well as the Twitter header page, a shot of Ocean Master from the film. So nice. Nothing wrong with that because Ocean Master is a great villain with a great costume design. So <laughs> good to see him represented here. But Ocean Man, take me by the hand, says, um, anyone else come out of this movie really uncomfortably aware of their own laugh? Which I got to say is a great question <laughs> because yeah. as we were talking about with the way Joaquin Phoenix did his Joker laugh and how kind of disturbing and uncomfortable it could be. Yeah, you kind of want to make sure you don't sound like that. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, th- thank you for making me self-conscious of yes. <laughs> myself, Ocean Man. So now you got to be careful if you're laughing. To, if anyone looks at you funny, you, you might have a strange laugh like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but Ocean Man says, a good movie, though. Very uncomfortable to watch at times, but hard to look away. As awful as the context was, the very final scene was just delightful. That right there was the Joker. 
Yes, I would agree. So I'm uh, glad to hear that you enjoyed the movie as much as we did, it seems. And that uh, that final sequence, as I talked about, <laughs> is how memorable it was. And just what a great job it did of portraying what the Joker they were trying to, the story of the Joker, I should say, they were trying to tell there. And that all culminated into that epic final moments there. So, yeah, glad you enjoyed it. And thank you for the response, too. So hopefully... Most people are like, Ocean Man, take me by the hand here and enjoying the Joker movie as much as we are. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. With that, that ends our featured topic. And we just got a few news items to talk about here. One of them being that we got our first trailer for Birds of Prey, the next DC movie coming in February. And um, this one, I got to say, maybe shouldn't be called Birds of Prey (laughs) because I think because we know it's fully focusing on Harley Quinn and maybe they should have just called it the emancipation, the emancipation of, of Harley Quinn <laughs> instead of birds of prey because he's full front and center in this trailer. And as a Harley fan, I'm fine with that because I think they're doing a good job of this trailer anyway, showing the progression of Margot Robbie's version of Harley and what she's doing after suicide squad, leaving the Joker. And I want to see that story of Harley be shown in live action to me. It, Reminded me of the Batman the Animated Series episode, Harley's Holiday, where she tries to go uh, legit and do what's right in society. And while I don't think she's going to do that, but just showing her move on from the Joker and what she's doing with her life and how she wants to do things. I thought they did a good job of showing that in this trailer. And probably the most important thing, Dane, we're getting the live action debut of the hyenas Bud and Lou, (laughs) at least one of them from the animated (laughs) series. I loved how we saw her going to... Must be some type of black market pet shop. <laughs> we see her pick out one of the hyenas in a cage and how it's going to be one of her babies, as she so famously calls them. So I like that aspect of it. And just mainly the story that they're deciding to tell here with Harley Quinn. But, you know, we got Black Canary, we got Huntress, uh, we got Cassandra Kane, And so obviously that's the big reason why it's called the Birds of Prey. They're all Black Canary, black canary Huntress in particular are Birds of Prey mainstays. But doesn't seem like that's going to be the main focus of the movie as far as much as showing Harley's journey and her story, how she um, mixes up with these characters, but how they're kind of going to be supporting her story, I think, in this movie, which kind of makes me wonder if they should have went full on villain or maybe have it be Poison Ivy because we know her Harley, her and Harley have a great relationship and friendship. Maybe Catwoman because kind of have that villain theme, more of the Gotham City Sirens instead of Birds of Prey. So we'll see how it plays out, but I couldn't help but think that watching the trailer and just knowing how much it's going to be Harley's story and not the birds of prey in there. And the one thing I'm not entirely sold on is just the visual look of it and the costume of the characters. Uh, We've seen set photos, a little teases how this isn't going to be your typical birds of prey team in their costumes because none of them are wearing (laughs) their familiar costumes that we know. So it's more like street level street type clothes that we're going to see him in. So we'll see how that plays out, but it's not visually. It's not my favorite. And the one thing, I mean, it's so little, but it looks like we're going to get a different Cassandra Kane in this one because we see her talking with Harley in the car at the end of the trailer. She's asking questions. And I was kind of hoping for the more quiet, mute version of Cassandra Kane that we know from the comics and how she becomes, how she's this deadly fighter. And maybe she is still a deadly fighter, but looks like they're going to remove that part where she's mute not because i don't want to hear her talk or anything but i just think it's such an important element of the character and her growth when she does learn to talk and to speak and learn to trust others and you know to build friendships when she's able to and when she learns to speak 
So it uh, looks like they're removing that from this element, but that was something I was kind of hoping they stick with. But I could maybe see why they don't want to have that, where they want this version of her to interact more with Harley and the others. But um, we'll see how it plays out. I'm still excited that we're we're getting Cassandra Kane in a lo- in live action finally. But then we get Ewan McGregor's <laughs> Black Mask, and I'm still hoping. And I think we will by the end of the movie. Something will happen where he has the black mask mask <laughs> because why else would he be called black mask? He did have his trademark white suit though, which was cool to see. But um, I think Ewan McGregor is going to be great in the role. And they, it looks like they are going with the more exuberant one, <laughs> black mask, for someone who's you know likes to make himself known. He's not the guy. I said before how I was hoping they do the more. Uh, held back darker like sinister version of black mass that we saw in no man's land but this one reminded me a lot of the version of black mass we saw in the under the red hood movie someone who's probably going to yell and scream a lot and we would see him being frustrated in shots of the trailer where he just you know head over his forehead just like, screaming at certain points ripping his hair out not literally but it looks like he was doing that <laughs> just, so we're probably gonna see this black mass yell and be frustrated a lot but with ewan mcgregor behind the role i know it's gonna be awesome it is so i'm really looking forward to his performance and like i said hopefully yeah, by the end of the movie he gets his iconic black mask mask because i want to see ewan mcgregor act uh, as that villain with that great look because i love the design of black mask so but overall i'm excited for the trailer it's gonna be something or for the movie uh, it's going to be something different with the birds of prey, but it looks like it's going to be a good time. And I'm just excited to see more of Margot Robbie's Holly Harley, because she continues to kill it in the role, just in a little bit more footage we got of seeing her as Harley in this trailer. So yeah, should be a fun time once it comes out in February. Yeah. Yeah. It looks good. Um, but I don't know. I, I just have this weird feeling that, um, uh, this is all in Harley's head. Hmm. <laughs> that would be a different day. Um, it would tie in with the Joker movie more so. <laughs> yeah, like uh, Huntress and Black Canary, Montoya and Cassandra um, are all in her head. And maybe like the only real person is Ewan McGregor. <laughs> I, that would I, be... I, I just have this weird feeling. I don't know. Uh, well... You're calling it here first, Dane. So yeah. <laughs> if that is the case, I'll definitely give you props for that because I haven't seen that mentioned anywhere. So that would be a different way to go about it. But yeah, and it's it, it's kind of a letdown that they they're just calling it Birds of Prey. Uh, I wish they, they they called it Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Well, it did say that in the title once the trailer. Yeah, was over. but like the official title is just Birds of Prey. You know, I wish, it, I wish it was that whole thing. Well, that doesn't make a good hashtag, Dane. So yeah, I guess <laughs> just gotta not. keep it to birds of prey. <laughs> maybe you can do BOP hashtag BOP A T F E of one O O H H Q. Yeah, that doesn't make it any easier. nice try though yeah but also some big comic book news that happened over the last few weeks and this happened on batman day which happy belated batman day to you dave (laughs) which was the day we're supposed to court record our last episode but unfortunately we couldn't so happy belated batman day to everyone but one of the big announcements was that we got the new creative team for the main batman title um starting next year and it's going to be james tiny the fourth 
on as the writer and Tony Daniel as the artist. So Did you see his picture, Tim? On that on that uh, uh, article. <laughs> which of who? Uh Tony Daniel. I don't think I did. No. <laughs> yeah, t- uh, t- uh, take a quick, quick look at it. <laughs> Let me see. Yeah. I see the names. Maybe it's just not loading up for me, but oh. on the main DC site, right? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that thing that you linked. Yeah, when am I not going to get any images? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's okay. Never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I got the quotes here. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, as James Tinian, or like I remember to call him Tynan. <laughs> so, James Tynan says um, he wants to dig deep into the bat himself and tell an epic story that pushes him to his absolute limits. I want to tell a Batman story like the kinds I grew up loving, one that embraces the horror and gothic elegance of Gotham and dives deep into Batman's greatest villains. So I am totally fine with James Tynan taking over the Batman title. He obviously proved himself to be a great writer for Batman and his characters with Detective Comics and his run for the first uh, one rebirth first launch and obviously the Batman TMNT series I'm a big fan of. So Having him taking over the main Batman title is something I'm excited for. So I'm excited to hear what he has planned more so as far as what his stories are going to involve and what villains are going to be in there. But um, as, for, as far as writers go, definitely uh, can't do better or more better than James Tynan right now as far as someone who's nailing most of the Bat books he works on. So I'm excited for it. I will throw a caveat to this announcement, though. Now, this is nothing official. But there are rumors going around that once we make it to Batman 100, it's going to reset again. And here's the part of the rumor that doesn't have me excited, is that we may get Bruce stepping away from the cow again and have someone else take over. And I believe the person who's rumored is Luke Fox, a.k.a. Batwing right now. And I just got to say, come on, DC, if you're, you can't do this again this soon. <laughs> I mean, the last decade... We've done this, what, this will be the third time, obviously, after R.I.P., Dick took over, which is really cool. Then you had Gordon took over, which was hit or miss. And to do it again so short after that, it's like, come on, you can't go keep going back to this gimmick and then have Bruce come back to be Batman again, probably when Matt Reeves' Batman film comes out. Like, <laughs> all these things tend to coincide with. So I'm hoping it's just a rumor because it's... It's something I'm not going to be excited about. I don't even know if I'll bother to read if they do this again because it's just we've seen it so many times now and we don't need to do, go through this again. So hopefully that just stays a rumor because I'm just totally fine with James Tynan doing Batman stories that he wants to tell with exploring more, you know, with Bruce. And like you said, he wants to push him to his absolute limits and just do that <laughs> with Bruce as Batman. No, no need to have these gimmicks to get him out of the cowl and have him come back again because we've seen it before once was enough and three times it's yeah way too much so hopefully that doesn't happen but excited about the yeah. new creative team regardless well you know that's gonna happen right yeah, don't see you, you, yeah don't. you know <laughs> you know bruce is gonna be gone for like a like 10 months and then he's gonna come back right yeah it's just like why bother <laughs> <laughs> i don't know yeah uh, well the Maybe Luke Fox will make a good Batman. Yeah, you never know. Like never it know. could be good, but just the idea of them wanting to do this again is just what really annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, too, uh, too too many times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the last bit of thing I want to mention is some more cool Crisis on Infinite Earth crossover news, which is going to air in just two months on the CW. The return that I know everyone was hoping for, myself included, but wasn't sure was going to happen, is happening. Tom Welling is back as Clark Kent, along with Erica Durant as Lois Lane in Crisis on Infinite Earths, as the Clark and Lois from Smallville. And the Smallville fan in me, which got super excited about this news. I mean, <laughs> the Smallville fan in me hasn't shown up in almost 10 years. So <laughs> the fact that he's returning as they mentions just Clark Kent, not Superman. So it's going to be interesting to see if they're exploring a version where if he gave up being Superman, maybe, and he's just Clark and Clark and Lois are just living on the Kent farm now. But regardless, I'm just excited that, you know, they decided to have Tom Willing be in this and Tom Willing agreed. And just how Crisis on Infinite Earths is really becoming a celebration of not just the current DC TV shows, but the history of DC TV shows. Because you got um, uh, the original Flash, John Wesley Shipp, uh, being back as his version of Barry Allen as the Flash. You got Tom Welling back. I think there's rumors now that Linda Carter might be back. or not. Oh, really? Not back in this universe, but just back as Wonder Woman showing up for the first time in this universe. Burt War is going to be in it, representing the 1966 show, even though we don't know who he's playing yet. But I think it would be cool if he's playing Dick Grayson. <laughs> uh, and they're even bringing back, I forget her name, but the actress from the Birds of Prey show, the spinoff from Small... No, not a spinoff, but from the same creators as Smallville, the failed Birds of Prey TV show, which I was not a fan of. But still cool that they're recognizing it and bringing in the actress who played Huntress to be a part of the crossover so it's just sounding to be something really big and cool for dc tv fans and just celebrating the history of it and again just really cool that i think they're bringing tom welling back as clark and then erica durantz who in my opinion probably is the best live action lois we've seen in tv or movie so it's just cool to see them again we don't know how much they're going to be involved with the story but um there has been shots of them on the kent farm with the uh, tyler hoshin uh, superman um, on the Kent farm, so it looks like they'll be interacting together, but I just hope he interacts with everybody from Brandon Ralph back as Superman, Kevin Conroy as Batman, just, oh, just the fact that all these characters and actors are going to be in this thing is going to be amazing, so I'm just getting more and more excited for this crossover. And also, we got our first look at Brandon Ralph as the Kingdom Come Superman, and he looks awesome back in the Superman costume, not going to lie. I mean, he made for a good Superman and Clark Kent. I feel a better Clark Kent than Superman, but he wasn't a bad Superman by any means. And uh, But I was never a fan of the Superman Returns costume, and it didn't do him any favors in that costume. So, But this one, seeing the iconic Kingdom Come Superman costume in that logo, it just looks really, really cool. And Brand just seeing Brandon Routh back as Superman again is just going to be so cool. And he still has it. He still has that Superman look. And there's that great shot where it's kind of it's darkly lit and it's that iconic Alex Ross cover of Kingdom Come where Superman kind of with his head down looking very serious. So it's kind of a cool homage to that. And uh, I, mean, I just can't wait to see it <laughs> with him back as Superman. And there has been a shot released of him in his costume and Tyler Hoshin in his Superman co costume interacting together. So it's going to be really cool. Just a lot of stuff to look forward to. Who knows what else they might announce before we see the crossover, but it's enough already to have me and I know a bunch of other DC TV fans super excited. So we just got to hope that it doesn't get too big for what they can handle and it all delivers for a really cool 
crisis story. So yeah, but it all is sounding and looking very, very cool. I can't wait to see it. So so was um, Tom Welling ever in the Superman outfit? In nope, it was uh, all Smallville? it was all CG. <laughs> the only time really? he was actually had it on is the very last shot where he rips his suit and you see the Superman logo. So maybe he just wore the shirt portion of it, but that's about it. The rest of it was just a CG version of the horrible Superman Returns costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. So 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 this is, this is the first actual time that anybody. We'll see Tom Welling in that outfit. Well, we might not because, like I said, they only describe him as returning as Clark Kent, not as Superman. So maybe they won't. Uh, he might just have his trademark red jacket and blue shirt again. <laughs> <laughs> just hanging out on the farm. <laughs> but yeah, it's just cool that they got him back. Just to see him again in that role, I think it's going to be really cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's it for our main news items and oh one thing i want to mention too dane and i got to give you props you remember when i was so bummed and disappointed about spider-man not being part of the mcu anymore what did you tell me said just wait (laughs) just wait they're gonna get it together and look what happened and who was right who was right i should have listened to you or had more faith in you because i wasn't (laughs) pretty optimistic about it so (laughs) the fact that you did. Oh, Got to give you props. And I should say thank you because maybe it was your optimism <laughs> that made it happen. Uh, no, I think it was, uh, what's his name? Tom Holland. Yeah. Uh, Tom Holland <laughs> that did that. Which is just cool in itself. The fact because Bob Iger was on Jimmy Kimmel this past week. Yeah. And he asked him about it. Just wondering, you know, because the Hollywood Reporter had an article that came out that Tom Holland kind of got this started again and then jimmy kimmel asked him about that and bob Iger confirmed that yeah it was after d23 that after the reaction they saw from the fans and tom holland saw about that just how much he cared he took it upon himself to call bob Iger and and just really say how important this is to him and the fans to get this done and that spurned bob Iger to talk with his people in disney and then to call the sony reps again and to get this done so it was pretty much tom holly doing tom holland doing that so he he did what spider-man would do <laughs> he looked out for all the fans and got this done so just i wasn't expected to happen again but man that made my day when i heard it so <laughs> should have more faith in what you were saying dane because you ended up being right but i'm glad you were <laughs> yeah you see you just listen to dane next time because, I mean, come on, it's pretty obvious that they, they work better together, right? Yeah, but, but it wasn't looking good, though. <laughs> <laughs> really? Right? It wasn't looking good? Yeah, they were saying something, Sony was, and how I was like, uh, I don't see them getting back anytime soon. <laughs> so that's why I, just, I got yeah. more bummed as it went on. But that's why I was so shocked when this happened. But So uh, what would they have done if an agreement that uh, didn't get agreed upon? Sony would just put Spider-Man in their movies. And I, I think that still might be the case, actually. Which, hey, if it just means there might be some things where don't make sense where he's in a Venom movie and still in the MCU, I'll take it. I just want him still in the MCU and to resolve yeah. the cliffhanger ending from Spider-Man Far From Home. That was my biggest thing. Even if we just got one more, we're getting one more movie and he's going to show up in another Marvel movie. But even if we just got one more Spider-Man movie made by Marvel Studios... Where they just wrapped up his trilogy and his story. That's all I wanted. Just to have it end on a good note. Not where they had this massive cliffhanger. And we're not going to get 
the movie finished by the studio that started it. So, but I can rest easy now. That's going to happen. So, uh, July 2021, I think, is when the next one's coming out. And I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, uh, Far From Home, mm-hmm. I've, I've never heard of a school trip going to multiple U- European countries. <laughs> you know? um, they did have to take some unexpected detours on this trip. So, I don't think it was all planned where they're yeah. traveling to those different spots. Uh, I see. Uh, I just got it on Blu-ray and I, got a, I haven't watched it yet. plan on watching it tonight, but I am looking forward to seeing it again. So where are they going in, uh, <laughs> in the next movie on the school trip? Yeah, good question. Graduation well, party? I don't know if Peter Parker is going to be going with him because everyone knows he's Spider-Man now. So oh, yeah. <laughs> he might be taking a solo trip. <laughs> you know, heck, maybe he, has, he might have to go back in space just to get away from everything. <laughs> he, he only goes on trips in movies. The, the, the rest of the time, he's not uh, on a trip, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was this. let's and we can end the episode on a positive note, knowing that Spider Man is back in the MCU. <laughs> See, I told you, Tim. Yes. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, no comic book reviews on this one. I've just been still super busy. I haven't had a chance to read most of the books. Here's how busy I am, Dane. The last yeah. issue of Batman TMNT is out, and I haven't read it yet. I haven't even gotten wow. it yet. So, <laughs> wow. That should tell you right there how crazy the last few weeks have been. But I plan to catch up, hopefully, by our next episode. And I at least got to give a review of that. And because it's the last TMNT story by James Tynan, the final of the trilogy. So reviewed all of them. I cannot not review the last issue of this arc. So just got to wait a little bit. I wonder, um, you know, when uh, Rise of Skywalker comes out, I wonder if you're going to, uh, be busy for that. And he's going to be like, oh, I still haven't seen it. Oh, heck no, man. <laughs> <laughs> There's certain things you got to put priorities over. And Star Wars is the main one. So <laughs> I don't care what's going on. <laughs> I will so, be seeing that movie Thursday night. Okay, so what if a work thing comes up and you can't leave on that night? It'll just have to be a later showing. Cause the, there's no way the job would be working later past like 5.30 or 6 the latest. So... <laughs> So, so, gonna be so what if you, what if the only theater showing it is four hours away and you get off at six o'clock? <laughs> uh, you and your scenarios that would not possibly happen with all the movie theaters around this area. <laughs> no way. But if well, that was the case, saying, I'd make how, that drive. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what I was truly after. Say, <laughs> like, how much of a Star Wars fan, are you? <laughs> I would. There, there's no distance too far to see the movie. So, what if you had to fly to another state to see it? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to book my plane ticket. <laughs> like, like, no theater in California will show it, or the surrounding states. Oh, man. <laughs> Only on the East Coast, Tim. Only well, in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon you're going to say, not in the country, the, yeah. not on the planet. I'm going to have to go to the moons and watch <laughs> But no matter where or when, I will be seeing that movie on Thursday. Yeah, I'm sure you will, Tim. And you'll be hearing a lot about it from me, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I just hope you don't have that same uh, reaction that you did for for The Last Jedi. Yeah, where I didn't know what to think that next yeah. Friday, which was a feeling I never had with a Star Wars movie. Right, right. 
which got better every time I saw it and talked about it. So <laughs> it was just weird that Friday, not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode, a Joker field theme episode, but still a fun discussion on it nonetheless, but minus comic book reviews, but we'll get to those next time. But with that, um, oh, one thing I want to say too, just want to offer congratulations to our buddies Rob and Terrence over at Robin Everyone Loves a Drake that celebrated their 100th episode. So big congrats, guys. It was a cool episode um, where obviously we had some great moments with Rob and Terrence being on our early episodes and having them being part of the crew and then just them branching out, starting their own podcast and having it be successful as it is. It was really great. And episode 100 was a good time too. They haven't heard it in a long time, but they played their first appearances on Bat Fans. And boy, our audio was horrible back then. Dave. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you go back to those early episodes, our enthusiasm maybe wasn't as high as it is right now. Those yeah. early episodes where it's like, hey, guys, how are you doing? Now here is Tim and Terrence and Ra. Wow. <laughs> or here is Dane. How are wow. you doing, Dane? So, and then you got <laughs> the audio quality not being the greatest. So we definitely stepped up since those early episodes back in what, 2012 <laughs> and 13. So, but it was fun to hear. And just, you know, yeah. congrats to you guys on 100 episodes. And we got to get together soon and podcast some more because it has been a while. Well, I guess. Um... You know, with that being said, I'm never I'm, I'm never listening to that hundredth episode. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't <laughs> want to hear how bad those the no. audio sounded, Dane. <laughs> no, 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 no. Or let's just blame it on technology. There you go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll listen to it. <laughs> remember, Dane, you you got an internet upgrade, uh, like a few years oh, right. into the podcast, so that was a big reason why your audio didn't sound that great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I forgot. Yeah. So that'll be um, done for you. So yeah, blame so it on the I'll, internet. I'll blame it on technology. Yes. You know? <laughs> Does Rob still do his toy his toy um, YouTube show? Um, I don't think not as much, but I believe it's still up there. He yeah, still does it I, from time to time. I used to watch it every every once in a while. I haven't done that in a while. Yeah, well, I know the podcast keeps him busy because he has a lot of editing with that. But <laughs> it, it, it makes for a good show, though, if I love how dedicated Rob is to the production value of the podcast. Definitely more so than when I show on art <laughs> episodes where I just slam on the intro and outro. <laughs> That's it. But yeah. so props to you on that, Rob. It makes for a great listening experience. Yes. And like Tim said, congratulations on a hundred episodes. It, it really isn't easy. <laughs> yeah. That's for to, do sure. a, to do 10 episodes let alone a hundred. So congratulations. Yeah, a lot of podcasts comes and goes. So, but yeah. it's the dedicated ones that make it this long. So yeah. Yeah. Congrats <laughs> guys. But with that, that's going to do it for our episode. Number 186. We're getting close to 200. <laughs> Another yeah. milestone, which is hard to believe, but as always, I'll throw it to you, Dane, for the outro. All right. Go, go, go over. Sorry. <laughs> go over to the Batman universe.net, facebook.com slash Batman universe, or handles at bat. Man Universe. Uh, the show's Twitter handles at Batfans Podcast. Tim's Twitter handles at TimG311. And you know what? I'll say TimG311 because I, I, I heard a 311 song that I really liked. Oh, wow. Um, Give it to me. Which one is it? I have no idea. Oh, dang. Yeah. <laughs> the song you really like, you got to find out the name of it. Yeah. I, I heard it on the radio while I was driving. And he said, oh, that was, what is it, uh, by 311. 
was like, oh, wow, that's a 311 song. Oh, uh, you don't remember any bit of lyrics that stood out in the chorus that you remembered? Or... I'm just trying to think. <laughs> a melody, something. It, it starts off as a reggae. This won't help at all, Tim. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, it starts off as like a reggae song. Then it gets faster and faster and faster, and then it turns into a punk song. Mm-hmm. We'll see. They have a few like that. So. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm assuming that it's, it's a more recent song. Was does "Don't Tread on Me" ring a bell? Okay, I'm, I'm just gonna write that down and because <laughs> that is, that is more that has a reggae feel to it. It does get hard and faster at one point, though it doesn't get faster and faster and faster. But at some point, it does get a little heavier and faster but it's mainly a reggae song yeah yeah it's it's like mainly a reggae song but like only the last portion is like a punk song yeah okay that okay. maybe it is don't tread on me okay i'm gonna write that down i've written that down and i'm gonna listen to it i'll text you okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> but even if that's not it try to find out because i'm i gotta know which three of them yeah like now <laughs> um where was i oh in my twitter i was at at dane says banana uh, rate and reviews on iTunes and if you want to email the show email the show at badfanswithoutpants at gmail.com so with that like we say at the end of every single episode today we love each and every one of you with all of our Joker origin story hearts no matter which <laughs> ones are true or false <laughs> I was wondering what you were going to say uh, we'll, we'll see you guys next time see you next time everybody <laughs> <laughs>